0: What I want to do is read from Exodus 20, verses 1 straight through to 17, because we're going through the series called Ethics in Room 21c, and it's rooted out of this passage of Scripture. And so join with me. I'm going to read right through this and then narrow in on the passage that we're going to be going through today. And it says, "'And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery.' of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 6 days you shall labor and do all your work, but the 7th day is a Sabbath to your Lord, to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. That's God's word for us today, this morning. And so just some minor background notes before we get in and talk about the eighth command of the, in the Bible, which is our text for this morning. Why do we have God's law? Why does God give it to us? I asked myself this. I became a Christian when I was in my late teens, and up until that point, didn't believe in God, and basically carried all of this baggage and all these burdens into my relationship with Jesus, and found myself trying to follow Jesus in the best way that I could. And I was always asking, like, why so many, why the law? It was so hard for me to be like, okay, I should do this, but I can't do this thing anymore, and I was trying to figure it out, and it felt like a massive chore. However, Over time, my perspective has completely changed on God's law. I had a very inaccurate view of God's law, and I see it very differently now. God's law gives us a guide to live within the way God has designed us to live. The law, when followed, leads us towards life. It leads us within God's design. It's actually a good thing. The law isn't simply there to take away all the things that you wish you could do and to say no to this or that. It's actually a roadmap for you to follow so that you can live within the way God has actually designed you to live. And so C.S. Lewis, um, probably one of the best writers on morality and, and Christian ethics during the time he was alive, he says this in his book, Mere Christianity, that for many people, morality is something that interferes. Something that stops you from having a good time. In reality, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. And so as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're here today, you would affirm that God made the world. That God made everything in it. That he's our creator. That he's our designer. And as our designer, he gives us the way we're designed to live through all of his commands in scripture. That's why it's so important to know God's law. To understand the reasoning why they're there, to know them well, and to understand that even though they are written thousands of years ago, they mean so much for us today in the here and now. And so we're going through this series called Ethics in Room 21C, and that's what this is all about, learning how do the commands of the Bible relate to us now. And today we're looking at the eighth command out of the Ten Commandments, which is do not steal. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Stealing confession time, I've done it. Was it a car? Okay. Was it, was it some sort of robbery? Probably not. No, it was my wife's heart at the age of 20. And uh, yeah, no, you're laughing, but it it happened. Um, And also in addition to that, um, it was at the tender age of five, I stole a pencil and committed my first felony. A pencil it wasn't like an ordinary pencil, it had a really neat rubber thing on the end, and so a bit more of like a high-end writing tool. Uh, but at the tender age of five, stole that pencil. Now, I just want to make sure that I'm not in here airing all my dirty laundry by myself. Um, hands up if anybody here has ever stolen before. safely. Yeah. Uh, ushers, we're going get, to get their names, we're going to get the, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, thank you for sharing. This sermon's applicable to some of us, for sure. And at the age of five, I stole a pencil. And here's what's interesting about this experience. Um, I don't think at this point anyone had ever told me that stealing was explicitly wrong. I think it was one of these things that's just sort of assumed or that you know. And I went into a store, I saw the pencil, I took it, and got away with it. But I felt Horrible the joy of getting this new thing was definitely overshadowed by the horrible guilt that I began to carry instantly. Was anyone going to be hurt by this pencil being taken? Probably not. Was the store owner actually going to, you know, notice that the pencil was gone? No. But when I reflect on this experience, especially reflecting on the whole do not steal commandment today, it got me asking a few questions to sort of like really interact with and further experience what I went through. And so why did I take the pencil in the first place? If I would wanted, I could have asked my parents. I think the pencil was 10 cents, something like that. I could have asked them. I could have made a case for it, been like, Mom, Dad, I need to do homework, and this is essential for that. And I could have got them to probably buy it for me. But there was something in my heart that caused me to take this pencil. There was something in me that justified doing something that was wrong in that moment. Something in me that caused me to take it. And then what did I do in response to taking it? The minute I stole this pencil and had it and had gotten away with it, I felt the need to hide. I felt like I couldn't be honest with my parents and my brothers who were there. Not only did I want to hide what I had done, I wanted to hide as a person. I didn't want anybody to see me. And it was like my shame of doing something wrong drove me to secrecy. And then what was the consequence of taking this pencil? Well, in this case, like I mentioned, the shop owner wasn't going to notice, but I carried the consequences. I felt gross. I felt like I had this internal battle where you know the only way you're going to feel good is by confessing it and actually bringing it to light and sharing it with other people. And yet you know if you've ever done something wrong, that's like the last thing that you want to do. And so I had this internal battle going on and Basically, in short, this thing that I thought was going to make me somewhat happier, this thing that I wanted, ended up bringing a ton of misery into my life. It was a full emotional and intellectual experience at the age of five. I felt like I lived 10 years as a five-year-old. Thank you for letting me get this off my chest. but I think, actually, I think like later that day, I think I cried. I was like, Mom, Dad, I stole it in here. And it, it worked out fine. But my experience in that moment helped me to reflect and gave me a bit of a framework for what I would want us to, uh, how I want us to approach this today. So what I'm going to do is going to ask three questions, and then we're going to walk through them and answer them as we explore this text today. And this is for stealing, and it's also just for sin in general. <clears throat> and so the first question is, what's in our hearts that would even get us beginning to consider stealing. Okay, what's in our hearts that would cause us to think about stealing? What are the consequences of stealing, both large-scale and for the individual? And then how do we handle our actions and our thoughts when we live in a way that's outside of the way God has designed us to live? And my hope is that we don't detach today. Okay, it's so easy to hear, do not steal, and be like, well, I've never robbed a bank, so I'm, I'm fine. Or to be like, my neighbor Frank... That guy needs to be, that guy steals my paper every morning off my step. That guy should be in here listening to this, not me. And I feel like what I want us to do is just use this morning as a time of self-examination. Because maybe there's things in our hearts that we need to be aware of. Maybe there's areas that Jesus needs to minister to today. Because when you really think about it, things, the other commands in the Bible, when you look at theft, when you look at adultery, when you look at murder, these are never overnight things. They're usually the result of a slow drift where our hearts become callous, where we say yes to little things and little moments, and over time they become bigger and bigger. And then what happens is the sin that's going on within us internally, it manifests itself in ugly ways externally. So let's let Jesus have access to our hearts and our minds this morning. Question one, what's in our hearts that would cause us to think about pursuing stealing? And the the really simplistic answer is that every single one of us has a sin nature. Romans chapter 3 talks about how no one is good. We've all fallen short of uh, of God's glory, and we all have a sin nature within our lives, which means all of us sin. It could be inwardly, externally. And any time we sin externally, or I should say most times when we sin externally, things like stealing, murder, adultery, these are usually the overflow of something that's already preexisting within our hearts. So in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is eating with the Pharisees. These are re- the religious leaders of the day, and um, they're criticizing Jesus because he didn't wash his hands before the meal. And this is Jesus' response to the Pharisees. This is verse 17, and it says, "Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the thing that comes out, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them." For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. See, out of the heart come evil thoughts. That's where things like adultery, murder, and specifically theft, they start in the heart, and then they come out of us. And so for stealing, I think the questions that we need to start Uh, asking, are things like this, are we ever jealous? Do we ever want the things that other people have? Do we covet? Do we have feelings of discontent deep within our heart? Do we find our satisfaction in Jesus, or do we find our satisfaction in, in other things? are we always in search of new experiences, new things to satisfy us as people? Because this is where the whole do not steal should get very real for every person in the room. Because it always starts with these things in our hearts, and these are the things we want to go after. I had this friend, he was a pastor friend from about four years ago, and he always had this, he a great tagline, it said, go after the root to get to the fruit. Okay, go after the root to get to the fruit. I was like, that, that's catchy. That's practical. I remember it four years beyond. And that's kind of what we're, we're talking about today. And so for us, this is really simplistic, really simplistic. Um, an example, usually bigger the TV, better the TV. Okay, growing up, this was the, the mantra for my household. Bigger the TV, better the TV. And so very much like today, except today, you want a bigger screen, but you want a lighter, thinner TV, But during my childhood and growing up, you wanted a bigger screen, but then you wanted a TV that weighed like 1,500 pounds as well, because bigger the TV, better the TV. And I remember there were times you'd get a new TV, and it was like an event. You'd have people over, and people would see the new TV. You might put a movie on, and everyone would be like, great TV, and everyone's really excited. And you're like, wow, life is really, really good. Until your neighbor Frank, and I don't know why I'm being really hard on the name Frank today, it's a hypothetical person, but until your neighbor Frank got a slightly bigger TV, and then suddenly your new shiny TV stopped being so great. Suddenly it wasn't as big as it was. It wasn't as great as it was. And all you can think about is one day getting a TV that is slightly bigger than Frank's, and then everything will be okay again. And this is life. I mean, you can insert clothes, you can insert house, you can insert money, vacation, anything here. This is what happens to us. So back to my story of the pencil. I took it. I wanted something that I didn't have. But that started with a longing before it actually resulted in in inaction. It started with a longing. We are a people that has a nature that is so hard to satisfy because that's what a sin nature does to us. We want more. We want better. We're a people that is generally discontent, that consistently compares ourselves to others and what they have. And who they are. And so let's stop here and let's just identify this. Point one in your notes is that when it comes to stealing, we want to examine our hearts first and confess our internal sinful desires to Jesus. We want to examine our hearts first and confess our internal sinful desires to Jesus. Because if you are fully content, if you are fully satisfied in Jesus, If you're meeting with Jesus regularly, if you're practicing ongoing confession and repentance and prayer, Jesus' spirit works in your heart to remove sin. He does like the deep heart work through those things. And when our hearts go unchecked, this is when we let things build. This is when we're so tempted into sin. Any external sin usually starts with an internal sin that's just gone unchecked. And so let's start by always examining our hearts first second question. What are the consequences of stealing? Like, why did God include it in his law? He gave us 10 commandments here, and stealing makes up 10% of them. And so again, referencing C.S. Lewis and his thought process, he, he writes this about God's law. He says, first, morality is social. It's concerned with fairness and harmony between people. Second, morality is individual. It's concerned with harmony within the individual person. And finally, morality has a purpose connected with the overall purpose of human life. So, God's law typically has a larger society function, it usually has a function and consequences for us in our relationships. So, it's a relational function. And then it always has consequences for us as the individual. And so, breaking God's law has larger consequences. And so, large scale, think about society. How does society function? If stealing is rampant, it's chaos. It, it doesn't work. Society can't function if there isn't a law against stealing. And so if you go back historically throughout all civilizations and all civilizations currently around the world, stealing or do not steal is one of these staple law that, laws that exist because you can't have a functioning society without that law. It, it does things where it, it transforms all the fabric of society where people function with anxiety because you're going people gonna take my things that I've worked for. It brings laziness because you go, why would I work for things? I'll just take the things. And basically it brings chaos to society. Relationally, what happens when stealing is present? You get relational brokenness. If I go to my neighbor Frank's house and steal his TV, break my back doing so, because it's so large, take his TV, what happens? Well, he's lost something that he's worked for, that he's earned, and so he loses. But more importantly, There's now a trust that's broken between you and him. And trust is extremely fragile and hard to repair once it's broken. This goes for any relation. This could be an employer-employee relationship. This could be any relationship that you have. When stealing is present, it brings relational brokenness. And then in our personal lives, again, can you guess the answer what stealing leads to? It leads to brokenness. We are personally affected by the consequences of our sin. If we don't address sin in our hearts, if we have constant, ongoing, reoccurring sin in our lives, it actually robs us of things like peace, of joy, of contentment, because we're not living the way that God's called us to live. And so when you give in to the temptation of stealing, and you don't do the hard work to work that out, um, can it be made right? Well, absolutely. Can you move forward? Always. But you are personally affected by the sin you say yes to. I stole a pencil, and even though it was a high-end, unbelievable writing tool, it hurt me, okay? I felt horrible. Sin just never leads to life. And so why is the Eighth Commandment in the Bible given? Because when stealing is present, it hurts society, relationships, and us, okay? When stealing is present, it hurts society, relationships, and us. And then last and final point, what, what's, the, what's an appropriate response when we give in to the temptation and sin. This is a really interesting thing to think about because sometimes we take God's law and we use it as a barometer to judge, to see how other people are doing and how they're measuring up. And it's so easy to take God's law and to apply it to other people and we can fail to understand God's law always has an implication for you, for me, for every single person here as an individual. Why? Because we're not perfect people. One of the foundational and fundamental things that we believe as followers of Jesus that's core to Christianity is that we are an imperfect people saved by a perfect savior. Imperfect people saved by a perfect savior who's working in us to shape us, to mold us into who he is, into Christ's likeness. But know this, we are all here always in a state of progress during this time on earth, never fully arrived. We're never hitting a point of perfection. And so the law, in one part, like I mentioned, is, a, is God's design, and it's a way in which that we're designed to live. And then there's this other function that it has as well. And this is, writers have made this point, scripture speaks to this point. It, people have almost called God's law like a mirror, where the more you know God's law, the more you actually become aware of the own sin, the sin that's in your life. It exposes the sin that's in your life. And so Romans chapter 7 gives this a great breakdown in detail, and I'll just pick, uh, I'll just go into verse 7, Romans 7, 7, to give us a window into this. And it says this, this is Paul writing, he says, in fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known what coveting, that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. Because the law shows us our sin that's in our lives, which helps us to fully grasp the depth of why Jesus went to the cross and how powerful his resurrection is. When we become aware of our sin as followers of Jesus, it should actually increase our love for Jesus. Where we start to go, thank you, Jesus, so much for dying for me because I need it. He saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. Jesus saw your past, your present, your future sin, and still goes to the cross. Romans 5, verse 8, such an amazing verse, says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died knowing he was saving a very messy people. And so if you're here today, and maybe you're searching, maybe you're exploring, maybe a friend invited you here today. What I want to share with you is that if you're here today and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, that Jesus wants to meet you exactly where you're at. He's fully aware of your mess, fully aware of all your baggage, all of your wrongdoings, all of your shame, and wants you as you are. And so we'll, we'll pray into this a little later. And so when we sin, how do we respond? When we see sin in our hearts, and we see it lived out in our lives, what do we do? And the first thing I would say is, don't hide. Like, when I stole that pencil, I just felt the shame of what I had done, and it drove me to secrecy, but that's never, ever a helpful way in dealing with sin that's present in your life. And so for us, um, there's this amazing verse in Hebrews 4, verse 16, that says, "'Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence.'" So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so for us, two things I want to say. The first is, when you sin, when you're aware of sin, run to Jesus instantly. Don't give in to the temptation to hide. We always kind of want to like clean ourselves up or go and get ourselves better and then we turn to Jesus. But that's, that's, not, that's not what he wants. Run to Jesus instantly, right in the midst of your mess, right in the midst of your sin and confess and confess. And you'll find help through him. Jesus is good. Run to him instantly. Second thing is tell a friend for accountability and prayer. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that we can figure everything out on our own. We sin, we mess up. We're like, okay, I'll work this out and it'll be fine. I'm in this thing called a D group, uh, which stands for discipleship group, with two other guys. And we meet weekly to confess our sin and pray for each other. I'm not going to lie. Whenever it comes to my turn and I'm going to confess sin, do I ever enjoy doing that? Not really. You're always kind of embarrassed and you're like, oh, okay, I got to do this. But it's one of these things, I, I tell you, if you want to find freedom from sin, sh- bring it to light in front of others. It's amazing how God shows up, how Jesus shows up in actually sharing things and having people pray and having people journey with you. There's no freedom from sin when we let it just fester in the darkness and try to wrestle with it alone. And I'll I'll admit, if you ever confess things to people, if you have friends, if you have people in your life that you can do that with, it takes humility. It takes courage. But it's so worth it. And always remember, it's not that you're the one who falls short and everybody else is perfect. We're all, it's common ground. Imperfect people saved by a perfect Savior. And so my third point is when you see sin in your life, run to Jesus instantly and share it with a friend for accountability and prayer. Just to recap these three points again before I close. When it comes to stealing, we want to examine our hearts first and confess our internal sinful desires to Jesus. Why is the Eighth Commandment given? It's because when stealing is present, it hurts society, relationships, and us. When you see sin in your life, run to Jesus instantly and share it with a friend for accountability. Let me close with a story. And I think the best way to sort of set this story up is to say this. Whenever we look at God's law, we can be, the point with God's law isn't just to always be highly reactive. So I'll explain it this way. When you read and study the life of Jesus and his time on earth through the Gospels, he, he's usually much more proactive than just telling people to not do things. He calls people to do things. There's usually a proactive that accompanies the reactive part of the law. And so, for example, if you looked at the law, do not commit adultery, that's not the barometer of success for a healthy relationship. There's things you want to do, like bring love. You serve in your relationship. You're present in your relationship. There's things that you do A relationship isn't just defined by the things you don't do. And so when we look at stealing, I would ask the question, what's the opposite of stealing? It's generosity. And so instead of just taking the posture when we approach God's law of going, I'm not going to steal, Jesus calls us to more. We should take the posture, how do I provide for others? How do I practice radical generosity to be a demonstration of the fact that I serve a radically generous God who is good? Robert Murray McSheen, he was a Scottish preacher in the 1800s, he says this. He says, the more you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, the more generous you become. We've been given everything through Jesus, and we should be a people that extends grace and generosity to others. So the story to close, I always butcher this title because I'm it's one of my, it's my favorite book, um, but I'm not French. And so uh there's a famous story from the book Les Miserables. Is that good enough? It doesn't matter. Anyways, there's a great book, uh famous story from the book Les Miserables, and the main character's name is Jean Valjean. Super fun to say, Jean Valjean, and he's released from prison after being in prison for 19 years. And the only way that he knows how to live is through stealing. It's through hiding. It's through taking advantage of others. And so he's been out of prison, and he meets this bishop, and this bishop shows him kindness and grace and invites Jean Valjean over for supper and then puts him up for the night and takes care of him for for the evening. Jean Valjean, he's overwhelmed. He, throughout 19 years, hasn't had one person show kindness to him. Not one person. So he's overwhelmed, and he goes to bed that night But his old character, his old nature that he's so saturated and steeped in, it's still there. And so what he does is he gets up in the middle of the night and steals all the bishop's silverware and leaves. Steals the silverware, goes into the night, but he's caught by the police. And this is it. I mean, 19 years in prison. He's going back to prison for life, if not worse and so the police bring him back to the bishop's home to sort of return the stolen goods and to just present him to the bishop. And the bishop tells the police when, he's, when Jean Valjean's brought in, he says, oh, no, no, no. No, these were a gift for my friend. He didn't steal them. I gave them to him. And the bishop reaches up to the chimney where there's two silver candlesticks. And he says, oh, and you forgot these. Take these as well. And the police leave. And in this moment, the candlesticks, they represent mercy and grace that's been given to Jean Valjean by the bishop. And this is, this is it. This is the, the, the turning point in his life where he goes on to live this brilliant life throughout the rest of the book. Don't settle for simply getting by and doing your best to not break God's commands. Go for more. We're called to more. We're called to be a people that represents Jesus in all of life. Give mercy Give to others. Extend love and grace. We are God's people, the means in which that he wants to share the good news to the world around us and we get to show his character and nature by our lives and by allowing him to work in us and through us and you never ever know how Jesus is going to use you to impact a life for today that could be changed for all of eternity. I invite you guys to stand with me. I'd love to close in prayer. And I'm going to pray first and extend an invitation to those who aren't uh, in a relationship with Jesus, invite you to pray along with me, and then we'll pray for everyone else. Father, I want to thank you so much, so much for who you are. I cannot believe that the God of the universe, who's created everything and oversees all things, would call us into a relationship through Jesus' death and resurrection when we come into relationship with you we get to be called children of yours sons and daughters saved by you in a relationship with you and i pray today if there are people here that do not have a relationship with you lord that your spirit works so powerfully this morning that you draw them to a point where they just need to surrender their lives to you and so if they're here today i just ask them to pray with me saying jesus i am so sorry for the sin that is in my life, for the fact that I have wronged, I have messed up, I haven't lived for you and I've turned my back on you. Jesus, forgive me. Be my forgiver. Free me from my sin, from the penalty of my sin. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to learn to be obedient to you, to listen to you, to follow you, and I want to do that now and for all the days of my life. Amen. And I pray, Lord, for everybody else that you refresh us, you renew us, help us to walk closely with you. Being a people that grows in our love of you, our knowledge of you, shape us from the inside out so we can be people that extend your love and grace in all of life. Love you and praise you, God, and thank you so much for your goodness to us. Pray these things all in your name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, guys.